Blog Talk Radio. Welcome everyone. I just I just have to say the metaphor, the visual of those lyrics by Chris Martin and Coldplay in the introduction of that song, it, it just uh, such a metaphor for medicine. You know the 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 serial dethroning of medicine. I used to roam these streets. I I I, I sweep these streets. I used to own. I would part the seas by my word. So it works for me. But anyway, I'm Greg Masters. I am your host and publisher of the blog, acowatch.com, also known to some on Twitter as Two Health Guru. Now, I am broadcasting today solo from San Diego, California, on Wednesday, March the 21st, 2012. I have no special guest for you, but I'm going to do a, my version of, of C-SPAN's Museum, and we're going to focus on some of the top headlines in the accountable care domain, so to speak. And there's quite a bit, I might add. Now, starting here from the bundled payment world, which is a subset of this broadly cast accountable care conversation, roll-up initiative, private-public, we have some stuff to share with you there. Also, Concurrent with um, this conversation, we have the Supreme Court of the United States taking up the uh, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. That's going to be uh, uh, later this week, as a matter of fact. And uh, we have a little blog post to that effect with a direct link to the briefs that have been filed, if you want to follow that in any great detail. Also, there's some private initiatives worthy of note in the marketplace that we'll comment on. And... Uh, up to and including some recent uh, tea leaves that have been disclosed by Advocate Healthcare, albeit based on six months of data. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about Mark Bertolini's Aetna's rebrand and uh, Dr. Reed Tuxen at United Health Group, who is on the war path, if you will, and I'll say war, I'll just say he's on the advocacy path of what he's dubbed the all-in healthcare ecosystem up to and including Dr. Eric Topol's book, The Creative Destruction of Medicine. So before we get into that, a little bit of commentary. So I've been uh, involved in this business, this industry now for three decades. And it strikes me that in some respects, some, uh, we are looking to... Um, I'm going to make the mortgage meltdown analogy here, and you decide whether this works for you. But uh, to a large degree, the cratering, the cratering of our economy, and the seven and a half trillion uh, basis of wealth transfer that evaporated as a result of the derivatives marketplace and the overreach of some would say in the financial engineering sector. We find ourselves looking to the very people who engineered that to sort of get us out of this financial mess that we're in. So the people who brought you mortgage-backed securitization and the derivatives thereupon 
are now the people who are guiding us out of this financial meltdown. One could make an argument that the same thing is happening in healthcare. And I'll just make a I'll just notice the fact that we're to some degree relying on people who may be new to this accountable care conversation or the whole idea of this triple aim, define it how you see fit to define it, that the the people who who are were looking to guide us into accountable care and making it viable are some of the same people you might say who engineered the prior version of this typically as reflected by HMOs. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but there are voices on both sides of that argument, which we'll take up at a later date. But uh, it really depends on who you're listening to. A lot of people think that ACOs are simply HMOs, uh, rebranded, same old wine, brand new bottle, so to speak. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, and we can get into that a little later if we have time. But let me give you some context on, on how I see where we're at at the moment. Uh, so the the major critical pathway here was in March of 2010, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act was passed. And for those of you who perhaps witnessed that, I had the uh, excruciating um, uh, pleasure of tweeting almost line by line of uh, that consideration by the Senate Finance Committee. So after what was a grueling exercise by the Senate Finance Committee that was stewarded by the rather mild-mannered and moderate Senator Max Baucus, a process that witnessed close to 600 amendments that were submitted during consideration. Uh, During this, by the way, reconciliation of the House bill that passed, the Senate took up their version and 600 amendments were then proffered against that uh, essentially um, Senate bill. Most of them were of the grandstanding and pure theatrical variety. Uh, the intent there, and again, this is judgment, was simply to slow down, if not corrupt, the consideration process, none of which stuck, by the way, and the bill eventually made it through committee to the president's desk, signed into law, and you know, at that point, it was an accomplishment of 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 magnitude proportion at that time. So, uh, bravo! You know, some are saying now uh, Krugman's in the news for you know acknowledging the benefits of health reform, uh, of which there are quite a few documented by third parties, up to and including the CBO, Congressional Budget Office. But in Section 3022 of the Affordable Care Act. HM, uh, the ACOs were broadly cast, and, and take it this way, those of you who are students of the behavioral sciences know that if you are do not participate in a, in a decision, the odds of you sort of owning it or subscribing to it or embracing it, you know, quote, complying, are not real good. However, if you get to be a participant in this process, the odds are you're much more inclined to cooperate with the very thing that's being articulated, not necessarily on your behalf, but being co-created, you're co-ownering, you're co-owning the process. So behavioral science says you get skin in the game, you're involved in something, you're more likely to play ball with. So what CMS did in this process was define broad brush examples of what are accountable care organizations, throwing that out to the private community 
who then would react to it through this notice of proposed rulemaking. So let me just remind you what some of that, that those indicia were. This is what CMS was saying to the healthcare industry stakeholders. The ACL must be willing to become accountable for the quality, cost, and overall care of Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries that are assigned to it. Two, the ACL must enter into a, an agreement with the Secretary of HHS to participate in the program for not less than three years. Three-year agreement period. Makes sense, right? Time takes time. The ACO must have a formal legal structure that would allow the organization to minimally receive and distribute payments for shared savings to its participants. The ACO must include primary care ACO professionals, which were later defined in eligible professionals, that are sufficient to the number of Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries assigned to the ACO. At minimum, the ACO is required to have at least 5,000 such beneficiaries assigned to it in order to be deemed eligible, certified by CMS. The ACO must provide the Secretary of Health and Human Services with such information regarding ACO professionals participating in the program as deemed um, necessary to support assignment of beneficiaries. So this gets on. And then finally, the ACO must have a place in place leadership and management structure that includes clinical administrative systems, must define a process to promote evidence-based medicine and patient engagement, report on quality and cost measures, and coordinate care such through such use of telehealth, remote patient monitoring, other enabling technologies. And finally, it must demonstrate to the Secretary of HHS that it meets patient-centeredness criteria specified by the Secretary, such as the use, use of patient and caregiver assessments or the use of individualized care plans. Not a whole lot that you could necessarily object there saying this is ridiculous, this comes out of the out of the woodwork. No, we can't play ball with it. So following the release of the act came a rather lengthy period when the good folks at CMS, those in the traditional Part A and B side versus the managed care side tried to give some express further expression as to what these um, uh, ACOs could look like, and they released a notice of proposed rule on, of all days, one day before April Fool's, March 31st. The notice of proposed rules was released, and following the the uh, publication in the Code of Federal Rules. Um, the healthcare community rather uh, uh, significantly engaged in what they saw, and upwards of 1,300 comments were offered by stakeholders across the spectrum in healthcare. A lot of them really good, you know, really good conversation, going to the heart of the matter whether these ACOs can even work given the fact that uh, providers don't have a whole lot of control over life choices that are made by beneficiaries for whom they're then accountable for in terms of health status and cost of medical care and so forth. But the bottom line is there were these changes that were reflected in, in the rule, and a final rule was issued in November of 2011. And of interest is from the original notice of proposed rule to the final rule that was released that uh, a couple of uh, of 
you might think um, kindred spirits, if you will, those who have been at the accountable care uh, quest, who have been in it, skin in the game, practicing it, uh, articulating it in terms of local business model design and delivery and financing and what coordinated integrated care looks like to them. Uh, and I'm now speaking specifically of the um, the AMGA. They elected to a large degree with some members who have actually passed through in the Pioneer Program to to opt out of the first pass in in the implementation period. So let's go and look at some of the uh let's go back now with it. so with that as context uh I I think it's fair to say that the the jury is is still out uh obviously whether uh accountable care from the point of view of derivatives that may come out of um, other than the hard rules as written into law under the definition of accountable care organization, but perhaps blessed through the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, as well as any deals that are struck in the private sector, in the commercial marketplace, between an enterprising group of physicians, with or without a hospital, as a member, perhaps contractually engaged, for hospital institutional services and a health plan who then says, you know what? We we understand the triple A. We understand by 2027, if nothing changes, the average cost of health insurance will equal 100% of average earnings. It's not sustainable. Got to do something. We want to, we want to engage. So on the private market, let's, talk about what's first up and in the news for me today, which is the announcement by Aetna, Aetna, glad I met you, now being rebranded under the leadership of Mark Bertolini, competently so, I might add. Aetna teams up with Hogue Orthopedic on a bundled payment initiative. So we note today uh, in the Hartford Current, I believe it was the original source, Hartford Business journal that Aetna uh, is teaming up with its health information technology, uh, I guess, partner, McKesson, to work with Hogue Orthopedic Institute in Newport Beach, California. Now, it's no surprise to anyone who's been involved in managed health care and contracting in the last 20 or 30 years that bundled payment's not new. It's been a mainstay of contracting pretty much following along the lines of the DRG payment system to start bundling services under a single single price, typically including all hospital-based physicians and sometimes physician component as well, or perhaps having a separate visit, physician charge. But Aetna is working with Hogue, a rather enterprising operation in, in Newport Beach, California, to offer a bundled payment, I guess extend bundled payment the whole idea of a bundled payment model into how they price and deliver care. And it's interesting that uh, the trade group, the Integrated Healthcare Association, uh, cites and is cited in this article that according to one estimate, um, bundled payment could save U.S. health expenditures as much as $300 billion between 2010 and 2020. So not an insignificant amount of money. Uh, to be saved here, just simply by bundled payment. It's not too disruptive. It, it's pretty much about agreeing on 
the range of services to be included and the pricing for those services. And obviously, it needs to be at a discount from the traditional fee-for-service, if you will, siloed provision of those very same services under a non-integrated care scenario. So secondly, I had mentioned we have the uh, uh, the the context uh, under which we are looking at accountable care and health reform in general is tainted, if you will, by uh, the fact that the Supreme Court of the United States will be taking up uh, later this week the um, patient care, the Affordable Care Act. And uh, I did a blog post on this titled, They Shoot Horses, Don't They?, and that goes back to um, a movie in the 60s starring Jane Fonda, which was kind of dark, but simply the idea that uh, sometimes people need to be taken out of their misery. And it develops kind of sin- sort of a sad plot as to how that actually applies. But I- I'm using it here in the sense that, uh, and, I- and I don't want to trip this to anybody other than my own association, which is we've got... And we've got the um, Dr. Eric, Eric Topol, who um, has written Well, I'm back, if you're uh, still with me. This is one of the not unusual technical experiences of live radio here on the internet, particularly using Skype as a means for dialing into the Block Truck Radio server. So I believe I'm back. And um, I don't know exactly. So this is um, this is the continuation here of my conversation around the context of this blog post on um, they shoot horses, don't they? And I'm tying it to um, having, I was at a program yesterday um, and the key, uh, the keynote speaker was Dr. Joseph Smith, who's the chief medical officer and chief science officer of the West Wireless Health Institute here in San Diego. He gave an absolutely great talk. And one of the things that he channels is this, uh, assertion by his, uh, I don't know if he's co-conspirator, certainly cohort colleague, Dr. Eric Topol, who wrote the book, The Creative Destruction of Medicine. And in that doc- in that document, he lays out a pretty good, rather compelling argument of what's happening in the world and the transformation and innovation that's being done. And one of the things he says is that uh, innovation will not come from inside the profession of medicine. It's going to come from influences and forces outside of it. <clears throat> so I am using this in they shoot horses, don't they, opinion in that if you look at the last 30 years that I've actually been involved in the healthcare industry, dating back to every initiative that's rolled out to try and contain costs, to restrain them, to improve quality, lower costs, and so forth. There have been some some incremental successes that have ebbed and flowed, but the bottom line is they haven't stopped the the consumption, the total consumption that healthcare represents in the United States economy. It's now close to 18%. When I started, it was back around five six percent. 
So it's been this sort of relentless upward rise in per capita expense of the healthcare industry. So the point that Dr. Smith made yesterday, and he was quoting Todd Park, the ball people, and he says, There's nothing, our healthcare system's not broken. It's, it's optimizing and delivering exactly what's been incentivized. So there you have it. I mean, that is truthfully what's going on here is, is um, the system is delivering the very results for which it is incentivized. With some tweaks at the margin here, back in the day when I first started, HMO penetration was 3%. PPOs hadn't been invented yet. Now they can constitute, in essence, the lion's share of the commercial market, perhaps with some exceptions carved out for consumer-directed health plans, which are, by the way, what's keeping many health plans afloat these days. Uh, individual insurance market is one thing, but the large group, large case markets, primarily administrative services only, and for the most part, it's very thin margins for health plans. So the fully insured book of business is diminishing at any rate the idea that creative destruction in medicine talking about influences from outside is going to change the industry because the stakeholders inside the industry are optimizing vis-a-vis the incentives under which they're operating so this leads me to the conversation that i heard at uh, at ces uh, the digital health summit that was offered by dr reed tuxen dr reed tuxen Senior VP for Medical Affairs United Health Group, another unbelievably incredible thought leader in this conversation like Topol, like Bertolini. And he basically says, you know, the days, he's talking about the all-in, uh, the all-in healthcare ecosystem. And what he meant by that, and I'm uh, exercising some literary license here, is that, you know what, we're in trouble. Looking at the at the trends, this consumption rate of healthcare given the national economy, we're in trouble in the days of kind of um, entrepreneurial, if you will, or niche market exploitation of one aspect of the healthcare system, with a quick entry that rewards the entrepreneurs for seeing the the opportunity, getting in, organizing, and exiting. That's over. We've got to have you've, everyone's got to be all in this deal. And the all-in part of this deal is really the triple aim, you know, better care, better health, lower cost. So how does that get articulated in the business model? Uh, one Another thing quoted yesterday from Dr. Joseph Smith was uh, that, you know, VCs have to come to understand that saving money is a business opportunity. So here we are in uh, this aggregation of uh, – uh, of stuff, and I'll, I'll just read you. Uh, uh, you know, they shoot horses, don't they? Somewhere may remember the movie. They shoot horses, don't they? The plot borrowing from the humane taking out, taking them out of their misery, post injury, if you will, albeit in the context of certain determined dance partners desperate to win a depression era dance marathon. This strikes a contemporary chord. Some might extend this desperation metaphor to our rather creatively change-resistant healthcare industry, <clears throat> coined as the healthcare conundrum by Atil Gawande a couple years ago. Yet with Dr. Eric Topol's recent publishing of The Creative Destruction of Medicine, where among his many insights, he acknowledges with the weight of history on his side that innovation must come from outside the profession of medicine. So let's fast forward that frame and consider where we are in, in health reform. Redesign 
or collective business model or technology leveraged innovation. At best, it's a mixed bag of industry voices, both direction and results. The first series of tea leaves that can be traced to the consideration pro- the first series of tea leaves, <laughs> sorry, that can be traced to this impact, I believe, is coming from a, um, the announcement a week or so ago by Advocate Healthcare, where they released six months of data uh, from their ACO, and they basically showed uh, a reduction in cost and an improvement in care, albeit they said they had mixed findings, but it's promising. So six months of data, what we have is essentially an ACO that's operating relatively uh, unencumbered by the rigid rules associated with CMS definition of Medicare participation, and simply looking at a program between Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois and Advocate Healthcare, an integrated delivery system, actually an integrated delivery system that is uh, not necessarily from with a Kaiser or a Geisinger or a Mayo DNA. It's an integrated delivery system that grew, for the most part, out of the community of practice of independent physicians who linked up and formed essentially a, a PHO during the, uh, I believe, late 80s, early 90s, and in spite of the bloodbath, in spite of all the, the risk pushback uh, that we witnessed in, in the 90s, which, oh, incidentally, per member per month, premiums were coming below $100 commercial in some markets. $100 per member per month premium inflows to full risk-bearing entities, both hospital and physician and institute, hospital, physician, and, oh, by the way, pharmacy risk bundled up a lot of them got there was a bloodbath and pushback at um advocates survived they survived not as a staff model or integrated group model uh, integrated delivery system they survived essentially as a private medical community in partnership with their hospital and they've grown now they've reported some rather interesting results worthy of note something to keep paying attention to and we're running out of time, but I would like to also speak to um, um, this general innovation theater and, and look basically at both at Aetna and United Health Group because they are in uh, and following somewhat on Cigna's sort of initiative to to rebrand, albeit I see more substantive movement more sensible integration, acquisition, and retooling of the traditional health plan business model by the acquisitions at Aetna and United Health Group. Got to talk about that because clearly uh, the health, the traditional health plan business model is doomed. You know, uh, again, unless the Supreme Court undoes the Affordable Care Act, when you start looking at the ceilings that are being created on traditional health plan business, they have to diversify. They have to reinvent themselves. They have to find ways to become uh, meaningfully involved in population management. So, you know, watch Aetna, what they're doing, the acquisition of iTriage, and their intention for it to be carrier agnostic vis-a-vis how it's pushed into the marketplace and how consumers and patients use it to access health care uh, providers 
to locate and access and maybe even price at this point. There might be price rolled into the equation, which would be incredible. So, and not having that serve simply the interests of, of Aetna's business is an unbelievable departure from how uh, health plans actually did their work in the past. So, a little more... Uh, a little more than I hope to get in today uh, in these um, 30 minutes. Sorry for the, the respite there in between, but exciting times. Check out the blog, acwatch.com. We do this weekly, uh, this week in uh, Accountable Care on Wednesdays, typically at 11 p.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern. Love to hear from you. And we'll announce who our guest is uh, next week shortly. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something today. Bye now.